The American dream inspires many, but it's not without its flaws. The reality is people experience workforce discrimination in many forms. It's time to open our eyes and have challenging yet enlightening conversations. It's not always easy, but we need to start in order to make a difference. That conversation begins here. Welcome to the Untapped Podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to another exciting episode of the Untapped Podcast. I'm your co-host, Emmett, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Jeremy. This evening, we have another very special guest, Sandy, who is a teacher. Sandy teaches English, English as a second language, as well as a curriculum writer. We are thrilled to have Sandy with us this evening, and we appreciate you joining our podcast. Well, thank you. I appreciate being on here, and thank you all for the invite. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Happy to have you. So as we typically start off, Sandy, give us a little bit of background about your education, your career, and your transition. So I am a little old girl from South Louisiana, to be more specific, Crowley. Um, I graduated at the top of my class from Crowley High School and got a full scholarship to a college in Natchitoches, Louisiana, Northwestern State University. After that, I obtained my degree in secondary English education and communications. And I graduated and ended up starting, I actually started teaching in Natchitoches. Um, about two years later, my husband received an opportunity to continue his educational career. So we transitioned from Natchitoches to Dallas. And then I started teaching in Dallas, in the South Dallas area. And then eventually I ended up in the North Dallas area near Irving, Texas. In the midst of that, I also got my master's in curriculum instruction and leadership. And I am now at the school that I'm currently at. So what does a curriculum instructor do? What does that mean? That basically means that I help create or cultivate what students learn. Um, I take into consideration a lot of what their uh, learning styles are. We also take into consideration a lot of the technology that they can use in order to basically create what our kids do. All right. So our listeners, as you can see, she is very well-rounded. And she is a fellow alumnus of Demon Land. So oh, I, I, love I, I love the sound of that. So straight into the question, Sandy, what kinds of discrimination have you experienced within the workforce? That has actually varied. It can be from the fact that I'm a woman who knows her stuff. And because I'm so knowledgeable, people find me to be intimidating. It also can be because I'm an African-American. And as an African-American woman who chooses to put students first, a lot of times I am not liked because I will choose students over choosing being popular and choosing to follow what a lot of our other coworkers are concerned with. I tell people every day, I can be just as happy working at McDonald's rather than me betray the integrity of what I'm supposed to do as an educator. Um, another thing that I, a lot of times I have to experience is because of the fact of how I do things. Um, like I said before, because I put students first, a lot of times my decisions are going to be based on what they want and what can help them to be successful. And people are not going to enjoy that regardless of whether what race they are or how long they've been there. I can honestly say that I know that I've scared people with how I've d done things and I don't regret anything I've done. I've been known to get in trouble at every school that I'm at. It, it's what I do. 
And if I don't get in trouble at a school, then I feel like I'm not doing my job. But while I get in trouble with the, I guess you say the leadership, my kids love me for it because they know that I will, I guess you could say, ride or die for them. And and as we've kind of gone through our podcast, we hear a lot of the intimidation factor in in which you can be so deep rooted into your job that, yes, it can become intimidating. Like someone's ready, like you're ready to take someone's position, but that's really not what you're trying to do. You're just trying to make sure that you're excelling at your position. So how does that make you feel? Um, A lot. At first, I will admit that I was scared. And I was scared because. I didn't realize that people like that existed in the education field. I, I guess I was—I I will honestly say I was being naive. I thought everybody had the same passion as me. And I thought everybody had the same ideals. And then when I actually got into the education realm, that's whenever I found out that not everybody wants to be in this uh, profession for the same reason. Some people are here to collect the check. Some people are here to try to prove something. Some people are here because they want or they desire some type of control or some type of power. And whenever I don't see things the same way as them, it used to scare me. Now I don't care. I, I've, I've been in this game for too long. I have helped way too many kids to be successful. And I've seen the fruits of my labors. And now I'm realizing that it's okay. It's okay for me to be different. It's okay for me to do things the way I do it. and to quote my husband, to be honest, you're either going to respect it or check it. So you're either going to like it or not. I can't control how you act towards me. All I can do is control how my students learn. And being an educator, you obviously are working both with coworkers from diverse backgrounds as well as students with diverse backgrounds. What are the challenges of having both diverse coworkers and diverse students? Do you communicate differently between each of these segments? I actually do, Um, especially at my school, because the population or the ethnicity of most of our staff does not match our actual population and ethnicity of our students. And so a lot of times they have to come to me or they have to come to certain teachers of a certain diverse background in order to understand students at our school. And so um, one big thing about our school is that we are majority minority school. But if you look at our like top 10% in our who graduates, and if you look at our faculty, you wouldn't think that because of how it looks. And so a lot of times it causes a lot of friction because there are certain things that certain people that people don't want to talk about. We don't want to talk about certain things dealing with race. We don't want to talk about certain things dealing with discrimination and social status because we may be afraid of offending someone. And so most recently in celebrating Black History Month at our school, we had that issue. Um, We had our one of our administrators basically come and ask us to talk about a certain topic that happened in current events. Um, So just for those who don't know, yes, in school, we do talk about things that happen in present day. We don't just talk about history. Just thought I put that out there for everybody to understand. Anyway, so um, (laughs) he... The the administrator wanted us to talk about it, and he received emails asking, well, do we need to talk about this certain topic because we don't know how to deal with it with our students? And most of those emails came from people who were white. 
they didn't know how to deal with that certain topic. And so when they came to me and were like, well, how do I deal with this? I had to kind of make them understand that you have to be transparent and you have to be honest about what your experiences are compared to everybody else. And it's okay that you may have not had the same struggle or same situation as those you are teaching, but kids will understand if you come at them honestly and you tell them what you've experienced and you're open to hear what they have experienced so that you both can get an understanding. I have to talk like that a lot with faculty compared to students. Students I can have more of a transparent and open conversation with because they know that I do not mind learning something new. I do not mind you coming to me and me being your confidant and stuff like that. And so there are certain things that I can do with the kids that a lot of times I cannot do with faculty and staff. I'm glad you're educating them. Um, that's the <laughs> most important part because the, the word that I do not like is I don't know. Yes. That, and, that is... and I think, I think that's the biggest issue with corporate America, even within the education system. Because you don't ask the right questions. Right. And, and that's usually the issue. So that kind of transitions right into the next question. So what would you say is the most difficult part of implementing a diversity and inclusion program? I think it's the fear that a lot of educators have of ending up on the wrong side of, how can I describe it? Ending up on the wrong side of popularity. So because of social media and how things are, I guess, blown up to a certain extent, I think a lot of times they fear that if I say the wrong thing, that I'm going to end up fired or I'm going to end up suspended. And the thing is, is that no matter what you do, there's always a possibility of you getting in trouble. Like you have an opinion. It's going to happen. So one of the hardest things for us is being able to have that open conversation because a lot of, I know a lot of the people that I work with have that fear. They have that fear that if they say the wrong thing, that something's going to happen to them. And I think it's because they are stuck in their ways of how they do things and how they choose to express themselves with their children. And one thing that you will learn about students is students can recognize when someone's being fake. They have a sixth sense about it. You don't have to question them on it. And if they see that in you, then they will definitely do their best to either bring it out of you or they're not going to want to deal with you at all. It's, it's going to be one of the two. And so that's the biggest thing that we have tried so hard. I know for me and a lot of my other coworkers, we've tried so hard to have those conversations, but it's just hard sometimes because they don't. They fear what may happen as a repercussion of it. Absolutely. So moving on, we have HBCUs, talent pool that we don't feel is being tapped into. What are the changes that are needed within the education system or within corporate America to be able to bring about that talent that's so underutilized? I think the first thing is recognizing that there is no difference between a predominantly white institution and an HBCU. For some odd reason, there is this stigma that HBCUs are some type of mythical creature within the college or university realm. And so 
I think that people need to understand that you can have just as many opportunities or even more at an HBCU that you can also have at a predominantly white institution. Um, the only difference is ethnicity. That That's pretty much the only difference. And so I've had friends that have went to a PWI and they've also been to an HBCU. And they know the dif- the challenges and the experiences are different, but they were still able to get a viable education from both. So I think it's making sure that we understand that difference and exposing all kids, not just minorities, but all kids to what an HBCU has to offer. I think another thing that our our school is doing is that we're exposing our students to kids who have actually been in HBCUs and kids who are currently at HBCUs. And so we want to make sure that they know that there is no, it's not a mystical land. This is not Disney World. You don't have to feel weird regardless of what race you are. You can go to an HBCU and get a quality education or even better, just like you can go to a regular university. One part that you you mentioned, I am a graduate of PWI institution, and I'm also a graduate of HBCU. Mm-hmm. And, and the one thing that people do not talk about is how diverse the faculties are at mm-hmm. all these universities. And right. I'll tell you that diversity really starts there because you look, you're looking at a very di- diverse group of people that are teaching on the collegiate level. And the other false perception is, is that some want to think when you put an HBCU on your resume, they think, oh, that was just a bird school, you know, it's just, you know, a little flyby school, you know, it, no. I, I think I... when people sleep on, they're sleeping on the Howards and the Hamptons and the A&Ts and, and the Grammars and the Southerns, because you don't understand. It is not easy to graduate from those universities. No, it's not. I know firsthand, I just finished at a- A&T in 2020. I had a 4.0, but I'll tell you, I worked hard for that 4.0. But that kind of goes next question. So in your particular field, do you feel the best and most qualified candidates are selected? I would say in education, it's getting there, but it's not there yet. Um, I think what they fear is that with the HBCUs not being traditionally formed, for educators that there is some lack that they have. And that is the farthest, I mean, the completely farthest thing from the truth. There are a lot of people who have graduated from HBCUs who come back to teach to schools and probably have way more viable experience than those who have gone to PWIs because they've had to be in certain types of neighborhoods. And the thing with education that tradition, let me say the traditional education route that most people take, if you choose to go through an educational program in a college or university, there is a part of your education where you have to do time inside of a school. Most of the HBCUs are located in low income, low socioeconomic status locations. So most of the time those teachers spend their first years before actually becoming an official teacher in these schools. And they understand the discipline. They understand the students. They understand a lot of the things that you have to do in order to cultivate a student. And so I think if people would tap into that more often, 
you would see a big shift in education because as the United States becomes more diverse, we have to step away from that, that I would say archaic idea of how you teach education and get this type of advice from those. So that's my opinion though. I agree with that. And, 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 you know, again, we all know that there are times in which, and we've had this conversation before about the buddy buddy system um, in which, you know, I'm hiring my, my friend because they're going to be more comfortable to work with instead of someone that is going to be qualified for the job and is going to work very hard in the job. Mm-hmm. What's your perception of that? I think sometimes you have to be very careful with that because you don't want that type of relationship to affect personally what happens. And I think when stuff like that happens inside the workplace, that's how you end up with friction and chaos at work that honestly could have been avoided. I understand that this person may be a person that's a friend to you and a person that's important to you. And I'm not negating their importance. However, overlooking them for someone who has the qualifications to work in this field or work in this location is honestly disrespectful to the profession. And I've seen that happen as a person who I've been on some of the hiring teams for my school. And so I've seen where there's a person who is overly qualified to be in a certain position, but because they do not mesh well with certain people in our faculty and staff, they don't get hired. And so then the worst part about that is, is that our kids suffer because this person does not like what's going on. This person does not like what's going on in our school. This person does not like being in this environment. And when they don't enjoy being in this environment, this is when they end up taking it out on the children. And so then you get the kids who end up not liking a certain subject, end up disrespecting the teacher, or end up in some type of disciplinary situation over something that honestly could have been avoided if we had chosen the more effective person for the position instead of a friend. Absolutely. So you talked about the hiring, you're you're part of the hiring process in some of these areas. What sort of tactics have you employed or are you seeing being employed that are improving the to basically to address the diversity challenges in the workplace um i think i know for my school one of the biggest things that we worked on is being more outspoken about it um as a person who's on the hiring team um there have been a lot of times when we have those conversations before we start hiring people and i tell them you need to consider ethnicity whenever you decide who you get because I understand that yes this person may be qualified but will this person be able to make a connection with our students and you also want to make sure that the students are able to see themselves in who is teaching them I can't say that that will always happen for every single profession but I know for education you want to most kids want to be able to see themselves and who's educating them Um, especially those kids who are in low poverty, low socioeconomic, those kids who are especially African-American, because there's so much going on dealing with race right now, being able to see yourself and who's teaching you makes you feel more comfortable. And sometimes that comfort for the student may mean uncomfort for the faculty, because you have to have people who are able to facilitate education with them that they can relate to. That fear of not being able to do that, 
is something that I've been working on the past God knows how long that I've been in the school. And it has improved. Um, it actually has led to us hiring more people of um, that are African-American, Asian, Indian, trying to get more of those people into our school some way so that it's easier for the kids to see themselves. I like that. Okay. I, I like the sound of that. It, it, it just is moving everything forward. Which right. is the most important part. But please now, understand, it was difficult. Like, don't <laughs> I don't want to make it seem like it was an easy thing to do because it was very difficult because they were they they were scared that they would get people who would act just like me. I'm I'm like I know I'm black, but I'm not the only black person here. So there are different there are multiple types of black people who exist in this world. They won't all act like me <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> Most of the time. I love the enthusiasm. <laughs> um, now, this question is, is a heart question for me because it's very important. As you know, I love to see that, you know, there's been some changes with promotion of women as of late. But it's still a underrepresentation of women in senior level positions. So mm -hmm. how would you address the underrepresentation of women in senior level positions? You know what's funny in education? You don't really have that as much because historically speaking, education is a female dominated profession. That's the fun part. What you lack, what you really don't see is honestly men in positions that are not dealing with athletics. Um, a lot of times people do not see men as English teachers, science teachers, math teachers. Usually their history or their athletics. That is it. And so I think being able to, well, first off, getting more men to choose to be in the education profession and not feel like it's something that they shouldn't do because of the fear that they have with the stigma that comes with it. You know, that education is just for women. It's not. I know an actual coworker of mine that is a man that teaches math. And a lot of people are shocked to see him do that. And he's also African-American, too. So a lot of people are shocked to see that. And they're like, wait, what are you doing teaching math? And he said, that's what I wanted to teach. Like, what, what else would I be teaching or something else? And so because education is mostly dominated by women, I kind of wish that men would see it more as a place where they can cultivate learners. Because we do need strong men in the classroom helping especially our African-American young males, helping them to understand that you don't have to be just a basketball player or an athlete in order for you to be successful. You can use your intelligence just as much as you can use your athleticism. And Sandy, I got a follow-up question to this because it is something that, that touches me as well. The way the woman wears her hair mm -hmm. is something that's discriminated against quite a bit. There was a, I think there was a weather caster there in the Dallas area, and she mm -hmm. had a, a nice African style in her head, and she got ridiculed for it, and then she had to come out and speak about it. Do mm -hmm. you feel that that is a, another factor in which women aren't hired? I, I want to find out, do you think that that stigma is a problem because I don't have my hair in a, a nice ponytail, or I don't have my hair laid back, laid and fried down to where it's, it's, it's down on your shoulders. Do you yes. think that that's a stigma that's causing an issue? 
I think in some school districts, that is still a problem. It, it 100% is. And it's sad because most of those districts that I've known that to be an issue in are districts that have issues with race just out the gate. Um, a lot of them are majority white and a lot of them are majority middle class to higher level. And trying to get in those districts with the type of hair that I have would not happen um, because I do not fit into the cookie cutter image that they have of an educator. Um, fortunately, I am very grateful to work in a district that embraces the fact that you can have your hair any type of way. Just don't come to school looking like you're crazy and we'll be all right. I also am grateful to be in a district that doesn't have that type of issue because we have so much diversity. You can't afford to be able to have that type of problem because you'll have a whole nother problem on your hands that you do not need. Um, but I have seen districts who, if they were to see someone with my type of hair, with my type of style of teaching in general, I would not be hired because I do not fit into what their perspective is of what an educator should be. And it's sad. It, it really is sad because your kids are missing out on an opportunity to experience a teacher that is probably going to change their life. But because of the fear they have, they don't want to do it. Can you elaborate just really quick? I'm curious on mm -hmm. what are the things that you propose or that you teach that are valuable that a lot of parents are adverse to? I am more of a connector to real life. So in my class, there are no topics that are pretty much held back. Um, I can talk about everything from gay rights to discrimination to understanding the respect levels between generations to anything else that I feel like is important to children, to mental illness. And a lot of times there are concerns with that with parents because they feel like they shouldn't be learning that at school. They should be learning it at home. And my thing is, is that I cannot control what you do at home because that's what you do. But I am not going to let a student leave out of high school without dealing with these type of things and knowing what their opinion is before they move out into the real world that has its own difference of opinions. So my style combines that real world with textual evidence because everything that I usually come up with is based off of some type of book or some type of poem or some type of music, because I am a music geek, I will admit that, that I use as a reference to what I deal with that comes with the real world. And a lot of times you will have a lot of parents that have a concern with that. That's why I always get in trouble because I never, <laughs> there's always a topic. There's always a topic that I will deal with and the parents will be like, I'm concerned about my kid learning about that, that type of way. And my answer will always be the same. I will not apologize for what I teach. I may apologize for how I say it, but I'm not going to apologize for educating your kids and being able to make sure that whenever they have a diploma in their hand, they cannot say they have not been exposed to something. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm getting also the impression, too, that as we talked about, conversation can cure so much. And it even is. just learning this, and I'm just going to ask, when you are teaching, do you also go with the opposite side? Is there an open dialogue between the both perspectives so that it's a well-rounded right. conversation? So 
Just the topic may be hot doesn't mean that the discussion is, you know, one-sided or... Right. And I'm the queen of playing the devil's advocate. I will always be the person that tries to make you see something from a different point of view. Prime example of that is um, we were talking about Brianna Gardner um, and, and, and the case. And I brought... And I honestly brought up everything that a lot of what Candace Owens, who honestly was like, the district attorney did his job, everything was okay, you know, he shouldn't be punished for whatever happened. A lot of people were like, well, I don't understand why you brought that back up, and she don't know what she's talking about. I said, whether you like what she said or not, she's an opinion. So you have to understand that while you have your viewpoint and how you see things, you have to understand that not every black person believes the same thing that every black person believes. And a lot of times that is what causes my class to get really loud because they're going to be trying the best, their best to prove me wrong. And I'm going to honestly be like, you can say what you want, but this is what's said. You can get mad at me all you want, but this is what's said. It's what it is. And so a lot of times I think you have to be the person to be the devil's advocate in order for them to understand that there's not just one way of looking at the world. And that's what I want them to see, that there are multiple ways that you can look at the world. Now, what you choose to agree with is your choice, but there are multiple ways to look at things. Let me say this. I want to say thank you for taking the time to educate the kids, because you talked about something about the parents. They, they, they want to be the ones to teach them at home. Well, sometimes that teaching is not even happening at home. Sometimes yeah. the kid is just ignored. Um, mm -hmm. They don't want to talk about the issues because they don't want to get into a debate with the child. And sometimes this is a sad thing to say. The parent is intimidated by what the child is saying. Yeah. And and the child could be spot on with everything that they're saying. And you want to shut down the, the conversation because, oh, I'm the adult. I'm the parent. and I'm always right. I wish and hope and pray that parents take the time to listen to their kids Amen. and really hone in on what they are trying to say, because you can alienate a kid mm -hmm. very quickly. And, and that's the reason why, you know, here it is. I'm rolling up on this is 2021. I'm rolling up on 19 years in May since I've graduated high school. And I can still say that I have educators that I can go all the way back from elementary that has taught me something that I can pull from, that I can take, because they took the time to say, hey, we're not just going to address what this curriculum is. We're going to talk about things that are outside the box as well. Yeah. Um, I think every day, I thank people every day. Um, and thank God for me having this uh, coats <laughs> as, as, as my junior and my senior year, because she was an educator. She took time. Miss Jackson, who's an AKA, these people I needed mm -hmm. to have around me to teach me lessons that, heck, I didn't know. Right. So, you know, and then prepared me to go on to college, you right. know. So, again, I thank you for that. Um, so we're here. We're going to wrap up. How can untapped play a role in fighting against discrimination in the workforce? I think you all are honestly doing it. Um, having these open conversations without judgment and with, with an open mind allows people to be able to feel like their voices are being heard. And it gives them an opportunity to be able to feel like 
if I'm going to be in a situation that, you know, that may not be the best situation for me while I'm at work or whatever profession I'm in, at least I have a space where people are going to listen and they may agree with me. They may not agree, agree with me, but at the end of the day, at least they can't say they didn't listen. And one of the things that people need to understand is just because you listen to someone doesn't mean that you're releasing your power to them. You're not giving up anything simply by having a conversation. I think another thing that Untap uh, should consider is that whenever you do have these open conversations with them, allow people who are in these senior level positions to be in on the conversation, to be able to talk to you all and to see things from a different perspective so that they can see like these people who are working for you that you need to take them in consideration if all of us are to move together or move forward together. One of the things that I will praise my school for is that they try their best. Now, it doesn't happen all the time, but they try to have that open conversation with teachers because they want to be able to make sure that whatever it is that we do, we do for the teachers first because they're the ones that make us look good. They're the ones that are in the trenches every day. We're in our offices making sure that kids don't get in trouble and stuff like that or making sure that parents are appeased. But it's our teachers that are there every single day trying to make sure that a kid gets over the the hump to get to the a diploma. And so being able to have those open conversations like we like we just did tonight really does help. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And you know, we're really proud of of being able to open up that platform. And we're thrilled that you decided to join us tonight, Sandy. Thank you again so, so very much. Is there anything else, any other final thoughts, anything you'd like to promote this evening before we close out? Um, I think that's honestly it. Uh, I just thank y'all for the opportunity. Um, I'm also an author, so uh, you are welcome to go to jwbellawrites.com and learn more about me and the other side of me that deals with my poetry and my writing. Um, special thank you to the school I do currently work at because I do appreciate them and them allowing me the opportunity to be in the position that I am with them. It's it's definitely been a long road, but I'm very grateful for where I am. Uh, that's fantastic. And one more time, what was the name of the uh, the website or? Oh, it is uh, com. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Sandy. Really appreciate it. And thank you to all of our listeners on the on our podcast once again this week. We will see you all next time. We hope you enjoyed today's episode, and we'd be honored if you would review us wherever you listen to our podcast. We are actively looking for people of color to send us their resumes and career aspirations. So please, log on to untappedrecruiting.com to learn more.